So, what is Zen? I'm looking at Ben's face right now. Ben, what's Zen? You don't have to answer it. I'm not putting you on the spot. Just the beautiful faces. Um, it's a practice. Yeah, it's a practice of uh, looking into faces and into all beings uh, with kindness and love and a feeling of belonging together. I'm going to start with a poem called The Healing Time. It's by a poet I don't know. Her name is Pesha Gertler. The Healing Time. Finally, on my way to yes, I bump into all the places where I said no to my life. All the untended wounds, the red and purple scars, those hieroglyphs of pain carved into my skin, my bones, those coded messages that send me down the wrong street again and again. Where I find them, the old wounds, the old misdirections, and I lift them now, one by one, close to my heart, and I say, holy, holy. What we know from Norman's teaching, what he says, the simplest and truest thing to say about Zen doesn't, doesn't probably excite everybody. It just doesn't have a basic core concept. It's about appreciating being alive. Holy, holy being alive. There's nothing to it beyond that, he says. But if I said only that, it would be disappointing, even if it's true. The essential point of Zen, he goes on to say, is just to be fully present, fully alive in the moment. Well, recognizing that to be fully present is to include everything, all the past, all concern for others, and a sense of going beyond one's own limited sphere of identity. Remember, Suzuki Roshi said, to be alive is enough. Yes, to be alive is enough, and to practice, as Ben said to us, to practice being fully alive, fully available to all beings, impossible, and yet we do it.
So what we call the present moment containing everything is not only about my present perception or my emotional experience, but it's the experience of all times and all beings. Imagine all of that has come into us right here, right now. All of our ancestors in our DNA. Generations behind us. It's scientifically proven. It's not just an idea. So there's an ineffable depth to it all. To what we call the present moment. And it includes life. And it includes death. It's joy and suffering. And Zen's core concept is to be present for all that that moment includes. We're so limited by our ideas and our hopes and our fears, our sense of identity. We think we are someone. I've told you that when I told Norman some months ago that I was stepping away from my role at work and wondering how that would be, he said, what role? You know, the role, the, the role I've had. What role? We like this or we like that. I liked that role in many ways. We don't like this or that, and I often didn't like that role. But that's not all we are. And to be fully present, we have to go considerably beyond ourselves. Considerably. It requires a powerful identity shift, a different way of situating ourselves within experience. Norman tells us it takes a lot of training and repetition and discipline. And I would also say it takes a lot of pleasure with others and enjoyment of the study and the practice. You need a strong effort to be present and to really pay attention, to see all those thoughts that come and go as we're sitting there from 8.05 to 8.29. And maybe we wouldn't do it if we didn't have a goal of some kind. But I also often think that sometimes we wouldn't do it unless we had a calamity or a tragedy something that brings us to the cushion. Maybe we can't bear the pain we're in. Or maybe we feel there's something missing in our lives. We hope meditation will help or some kind of wisdom we hear will help. But when we do this for any length of time, 
and the initial goal falls away and we recognize that the goal itself is really just a, another projection of our own suffering. If we can float and imagine a state free of pain, it's not that the pain goes away, but somehow it often, not always, it often transforms and you begin to appreciate it. All of those mistakes and misdirections and no's in your life, we begin to see that they actually do help us, encourages us to forgive ourselves, but to see the clarity of what we've done. And know that there is nothing so bad that we put ourselves out of our hearts. And with those who have wronged us, we try very hard to figure out how to not send hate and anger, but to take refuge in the Dharma, in the teachings of the Buddha, and in our Sangha. And the goal becomes just doing the practice every day. Many of us are now on the 7.30 a.m. sitting. It's a half hour. It's pretty great every day. See each other. Feel each other. You know, sometimes as I'm writing these talks, I, I have sort of excerpts of things that come my way. And this happened this week. I was thinking about a phrase that I've always loved. Phrases where the spirit horses drink. It's from a poem by Robert Bly called The Horses at the Tank. Every breath taken in by the man who loves and every breath taken in by the woman who loves goes to fill the water tank where the spirit horses drink. So we're, we're breathing here. We're filling the water tank. We're adding to the tank, the supply of goodness, of understanding and consciousness where the spirit horses drink. her Zen roots. She described what I'm thinking in the past as a lyrical twining of lifelines. Beautiful Wendy utterings that are like vines that come together in stories of tending her own childhood garden to an awakening of the suffering of the Vietnam War through her father's political activism as a draft counselor. 
and then her own introduction to activism on behalf of communities suffering poverty and environmental devastation when she was a VISTA volunteer in Appalachia, which ultimately led her to her first Zen teacher, the great Soa Nakagawa Roshi, very eclectic, poetic, powerful teacher who she met in Israel. And she said, no, no, I don't want to do it. And something happened. She, she fell into the spirit pool. She fell in next to those spirit horses into the tank. She became the head farmer at Green Gulch when there was that prediction of a place. She actually, I guess, went to Tassajara first, a, a, a mountain place um, to go and practice. And how her training, her repetition, her discipline, all those years tending the soil and all the people who she has loved and tended and helped become their gardener selves, their farmer selves, their passionate eco-sattva selves. That opened her way to then take a courageous leap to begin practicing with Thich Nhat Hanh. I think it was her devotion to peace and her natural curiosity that has continued to allow her and encourage her and support her with some very special friends to shift her identity. She told us about that shift in each of the ways that she described her life in Zen. How have you experienced an identity shift in your life? Probably many identity shifts. My own path was not so lyrical. I've told some of these stories about myself. I don't think I'll do that this morning. I'll just say that I was at age 27 having a difficult time appreciating being alive. I couldn't bear the state I was in. The simplest and truest thing to say, I was just overwhelmed with physical and mental responsibilities. possessed by an addiction to dexedrine and nicotine, to self-absorption and a goal of wanting my life to be anything other than it was. And then there was this transcendent moment I've told you about hearing my first Dharma talk given by 
a little old Japanese Zen Roshi whose English was very difficult for me to understand. But there was something in the tone of his voice, a quality considerably beyond words, that ineffable depth of dharma, of healing. It was a message from his heart that woke me up for a brief moment of clarity. Amazing grace, it really was for me, amazing grace. And what I understood was this spiritual nourishment, this freedom is available to you, to me. <laughs> Don't pass it up was a voice in me. Jump in, go with it. And go with it. I did all those years ago. And it began a huge identity shift, a series of huge identity shifts. The sitting meditation, Zazen, especially, especially difficult for someone addicted to speed sitting for many hours watching my mind racing around a little hamster wheel ooh, ooh, ooh. i was unable to focus on counting my breath beyond the number two two was a victory and chanting japanese words was strange it was foreign it wasn't exotic at all those arts, those Zen arts, those were exotic, but not this. And my voice was pitiful. My chanting voice, you, you can hear that it's still not exactly the most beautiful chanting voice, but it is the voice I have. And bowing was an exercise in mystery, in awkwardness. What was I bowing to? What was bowing? It's become one of the most cherished parts of the practice for me. When we had to do 108 standing bows in the morning before Zazen, which was a big improvement over 108 full vows, which we had started out with. Um, I, I would feel the tears well up in my body. It became an exercise for me in feeling the suffering and the pain, the loneliness I had as an addict, a very highly functioning addict at the time. But something told me, you can't do this forever. This is all going to fall away soon. What I heard was that there was something that was going to help me with Moved now closer to my router. Let's see if it holds. But it, it is my instability of platform. 
If we go off for any length of time, I just want to ask people to sign back on if they can. I'll keep going until we have any other problem. So trying not to engage in that self-absorption, not prioritize myself all the time as most important, not insisting on my own self-interest taking precedent. And in this year, these many years of experiencing racial and gender, class injustice, extreme climate events, and scientific documentation of that calamity of collapse in our, in our climate, rapidly accelerating. The dangers and the deaths are now virally infused reality. Three million deaths worldwide. More than half a million here in the US. How can I, how can we be fully alive at this present moment and lay down our self-interests, our activities of self-absorption? How can we stop thinking about ourselves as separate beings? In the words of today's poem, let's acknowledge all the places in our lives to which we may have said no. And let's keep finding our way toward yes. Yes to caring about others. Yes to letting go of our preferences. The preferences that limit us, that block our wholeheartedness. The preferences that cloud our undeniable belongingness to each other. I can see all my petty judgments blocking the path to that water tank where all the spirits, all the spirit horses drink. Let's make this a healing time. Let's see ourselves and our Zen practice as completely interdependent with each other. To really get it that not one of us suffers. All of us suffer. And we don't have people or beings who suffer because they are different from us. 
whether they are poor or disabled or mentally ill or black. whether they are in another country that we know nothing about, that suffering is our suffering. All our old wounds and misdirections are not just ours. They are everyone's. You may have heard this week in the verdicts of George Floyd's death, the guilty verdict, the beautiful chanting, all lives matter, all lives matter. And I heard one woman saying, we matter, we matter. How can we shift our identity? What's one thing each of us could do one way of not putting ourselves first. Not to insist on being some role of who we think we are. How can we do that? We recite those four bodhisattva vows to save all beings at the end of our gatherings each week. And we've studied the 16 bodhisattva precepts together We'll study them again and again, as long as we practice together. We know they're not rules so much as a way to be fully present in a complicated world. They're guidelines. Where our preferences are ethical and significant we need to act on them and then embrace what happens. Even if our preference isn't realized, act and then let go. Speak again and again and then let go. That's what we have to do. Lift each other up one by one. Carry each all through boundless Dharma gates, casting off inexhaustible delusions and bring every numberless being close to our heart. Bow to protect all of us, all of us, everyone, all beings, Holy, holy. So thank you all for listening, for hanging in there.